following message is from North Place Church. We hope the next few moments will allow you to experience Christ, community, and compassion. For more about North Place Church, find us online at northplacechurch.com. In the first week of this series, we talked practically about how to recalibrate our spiritual passion. And I told you then that the next topic would be recalibrating in our personal relationships with other people. And the more I got into it, the more narrow my focus came. And so I want us to look more, ne- more to the negative side of things, of the people that impact us negatively. So if I had a title, it would be Recalibrating Relationships with Difficult People. The Christian life is a life of paradox. I mean, you gain your life by losing it. You go up by going down. He exalts the humble. I mean, there are all kinds of paradoxes in the Christian life. And one of the great paradoxes in the Christian life is how we relate to people, even difficult people. Listen to these admonishments from the Bible and you see the paradox. Proverbs thirteen twenty: walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. The Good News translation puts it plainly. Keep company with the wise and you will become wise. If you make friends with stupid people, you will be ruined. (laughs) Now balance that admonishment to stay away from certain people with what Jesus said in Matthew Chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said in days past. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And and are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. On the one hand, Scripture tells us that if we keep company with the wrong people, it's going to ruin our life. And then we're told, on the other hand, that we are to walk in love and act like our Father in heaven. And and that, you know, the Bible tells us to go the second mile and turn the other cheek. And there's all this instruction about forgiveness. But how do you balance the admonishment all over the place where Scripture is encouraging us to create boundaries in our life and yet, at the same time, telling us to love the people and pray for our enemies and do good to them, how do you balance that paradox in the Christian life? Because it's not easy. It can be painful at times being in those kinds of relationships. We're often hurt by the people that we're supposed to love. And sometimes our lives get drenched from the fallout of the residue that comes from toxic relationships. Because we're created in the image of God, we are created to need connection, to need relationship. There's connection in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God created us as human beings to be relational people. It is needed for us to be whole. And yet some of those connections and relationships, all of them, leave some kind of imprint on our life. Some of them leave a neutral imprint, but most of them either leave a positive or a negative imprint on our life. I've often said to you that everybody in your life, for the most part, will either leave a deposit or make a withdrawal from your life. That happens because we are people in relationship. 
The relationships in your life are your greatest natural resource or your relationships, if they are toxic, can be the very thing that destroys you. Your relationships, negative ones, relationships with difficult people, they keep you tense and angry or fearful and insecure. So today I want us to focus on recalibrating our life when we're dealing with those negative relationships. A couple weeks ago, I encouraged you to pick up a copy of Pastor Craig Rochelle's book, Soul Detox. It's a great first of the year read. And I know some of you let me know that you picked that up and you're growing as you read through it. But I love his title for chapter 11 in the book. He goes about living, living a pure life in a contaminated world. And he dedicates one chapter to relationships. And that chapter has helped me tremendously in preparation for this message today. But I really, I really want to read to you his title for that chapter because I think it just kind of says it all. He titles chapter 11, Radioactive Relationships, Loving Unhealthy People without getting sick. And that's what we're trying to talk about today, how you find the balance in that paradox of the Christian life. Chances are, there are a lot of you in this room today that as I talk are already thinking of family members that are coming to your mind because there's this law. I don't know, it's like the law of thermodynamics or Murphy's law. It's like a spiritual principle. And here's this deep, profound spiritual principle. Are you ready? It'll change your life. Every family has a crazy I mean, it's like a spiritual principle. I, I, I want to prove it. So let me, let me just, let me prove it for a moment. I want to get you to participate with me. And it's really important that all across the building, if, if unquestionably there is a member of your family, I mean, it could be far out third cousin, but an extended family member that's a part of your family and you kind of avoid them at family reunions, but they kind of have the mark of the family crazy. Okay. Um, uh, if, if you've got one of those people in your family, I want you to raise your hand. I just want you to prove it's like a law and I just hold them up, hold, hold them up. Now here's the deal. The reality is there's one in every family. And if the person there without their hand raised doesn't think there's one in their family, that's, they are it. They're the crazy. I'm telling you. I want to use Pastor Craig's word toxic when we describe these relationships because it just, it just describes it perfectly. It's poisonous because there's something toxic in every one of us. We are sinful creatures and this toxic thing in us is sinful. And when that sin is involved in our networking and relationships, it can erode them if we don't approach those relationships in grace. Listen to the wisdom that the apostle gives us in 1 Corinthians 15. 33, he says, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. I can't tell you how many times I've quoted that last part to my kids. A bad company corrupts good character. Choose your friends wisely. That's all throughout the Proverbs. But uh, I like the fact that he mentions do not be misled. Because the reality is before you get to the deep truth of bad company corrupts good character, you have to be aware it is easy to be misled. It is easy to say relationship with that individual is not that big a deal. I know it's probably not the best, but I can, I can live with it. I can deal with it. But he's trying to let us know you think it's insignificant. You think it's small. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. By definition, a toxic relationship is a relationship that is characterized by a behavior on the part of a toxic person that emotionally, spiritually, or maybe even physically damages 
another person in the relationship. A healthy relationship builds up. A healthy relationship is built on security and trust. It adds to your self-esteem, your emotional energy, your spiritual passion. But a toxic relationship is characterized by insecurity and self-centeredness and dominance and control. A toxic individual behaves the way they do for one reason. And they may not even know this. Some of them do. And when they do and they behave this way, it's called manipulation. But a lot of them are toxic and they don't even know it. And they behave in such a way. And the inner reason of why they behave that way is because they're trying to gain control in the relationship. There's, a, there's this issue with control in their life. And while power struggles are normal in a relationship, especially the early days in a newlywed marriage, toxic relationships can destroy the other individual when the one is trying to exert control. And here's the sad reality. The toxic individual most of the time doesn't even realize they are the toxic individual. They don't realize that their manipulation and emotional blackmail is being used to try to control someone else. More than often, the toxic person is bitter or they're hurting. Um, they're, they're angry on the inside. They're, they're just plain out unhappy. And because of what's going on inside of them and they can't find a resolution to that, they project those feelings onto every relationship they come in contact with. And most of the time, an individual that is toxic, that is sabotaging every relationship in their life will be blaming everybody else. They may have left three churches and it's always the last church's fault. They may have been in three marriages and it's always the last spouse's fault. They've been in ten jobs in the last two years and it's always the last bosses fought. They never take responsibility for the toxins in their own life that are sabotaging the relationships that they are involved in. They don't look inside. They blame somebody else. Remember Pigpen in Charlie Brown? He had this residue around him everywhere he went. As far as he knew, he was Charlie Brown's twin brother. And it looked like it except for the stuff that floated around him. Everybody in relationship with a toxic person knows that they are spewing toxins, but you can't convince the toxic person of that reality. That's why it's probably not best to argue about it. And so I want to give you some scriptural ways to respond to it. Let me give you, uh, before we go there, let me give you a very extreme case in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, where Paul is talking about the toxins that are injected into relationships through false teachers. And Paul makes some strong admonishments about relationships with these people that are spreading false teaching. But I think the principle can flow into any uh, relationship that is toxic. Listen, he says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And then he goes on to call out some guys that are doing that. He names them by name because it is such a a danger to the relationship and, and the church. He, he, I mean, look at what happens. He said, if you, if you involve yourself in this godless chatter, this sinful talk, and you, you continually expose your life to these sinful people, you will eventually, as you indulge in that, you're going to become more and more ungodly. If you keep, if you keep rubbing shoulders in that environment, you're going to be, not only become less godly, they're going to begin to corrupt your good character, your willingness and your choice to be in that environment. And verse 17 says, this, their teaching will spread like gangrene. 
I don't know if you've ever been around anybody that had gangrene. I've had family members uh, and some of the years past that have had it, and it starts really small. It seems insignificant, but it begins to grow, and I've watched them lose a limb and then almost lose their life, and you can lose your life from something that starts so small and seemingly insignificant. Gangrene is a picture of what a wrong relationship is to someone who is otherwise healthy. It starts small, it seems insignificant, but left unintended. It will eventually destroy your life. So let me give you some different types. Let me give you three that different types of people that are toxic that contaminate healthy relationships. There are several more. I'm not talking about the vampire person that can suck the light out of life out of you today. I'm not talking about the poisoner who uses their tongue to slip suspicion into your heart about other people and stir the pot and create distrust in relationships. I could spend a lot of time talking about the vampire. I could talk about the poisoner. But let me talk about most Toxic folks that poison relationships fall into one of these three categories. First, the chronic critic. Wherever you are with them, they drag you down. They are incredibly judgmental. They are often legalistic. They are critical. They gossip. They complain. Nothing is ever good enough for them. They seem to have the unspiritual gift of finding what is wrong with everything. God could let his glory fall in a service and the presence of God come and save somebody or save multiple people. And instead of celebrating that, they walk out and complain about what wasn't right. They, they're like the children of Israel in the Old Testament um, that, uh, that, you know, they came across God miraculously delivered them from slavery. It was horrible. Egypt was a hard taskmaster. He did miracles that led up to the parting of the Red Sea. Parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground and the waves came back and destroyed Pharaoh's army. And the Bible says on the other side of the Red Sea, shortly they begin to complain to Moses saying, why did you bring us out here? We would have been better off in Egypt. They romanticized the past thinking slavery was better than their freedom and they wanted to go back. I mean, a a, a chronic critic is somebody that has just seen the miraculous power of God part the Red Sea, swallow Pharaoh's army and complain because they got dirt on their new sandals. They can find the negative in the miraculous work of God. How many of you know somebody like that that's a constant critic? I mean, be honest, be honest. Don't point. Just raise your hand. Just, just be honest. All right? It's obvious we have those people in our life. Here's a second type of, of a person who spreads relational toxin. The controller. Controllers are overbearing. They are demanding. They are manipulative. They might even be abusive. They use fear to intimidate you. Or as I studied this week, I picked up this word. They might even use emotional blackmail to get you to manipulate you to do what they want done, they control you. Emotional blackmail is when they control you with guilt. Have you ever find yourself saying things like, I have to do this or so-and-so will get mad? If you feel like you have to do certain actions to keep the boat from rocking because so-and-so is going to get mad and there's going to be an issue if you don't live up to their expectations, then you are being controlled by somebody through emotional blackmail and they're not even have to lift the finger to make you a slave. Some of you are going, now let, me, let me ask this. If, if 
you know someone in your life that has tried to be a controller, whether it's at work or a neighbor or a family member, raise your hand. Raise, raise your hand. All right. Some of you, some of you, obviously it's all over. Some of you just wanted to raise your hand, but you couldn't. Because you knew when you raised your hand, it was going to lead to an uncomfortable conversation in the car. All right. Listen to me. I'm proving my point here, case in point. The fact that you couldn't say something you wanted to say because you were afraid of the response of somebody else is a fact that you are living in and under the guilt that has been exposed, you've been exposed to in somebody that's controlling your life. Being in a relationship with a chronic controller is like walking on eggshells all the time. You're living your whole life in fear of the repercussions of doing something they don't approve. So over time, you learn what keeps the boat from rocking and you comply even though it's not what you think is right or what you think you ought to do. In other words, they have emotionally blackmailed you into compliance. You got the chronic critic, the chronic controller, you got the controller. And then the third type of toxic company that you could keep would be the tempter. The tempter could be a boyfriend who is always sexually tempting you to go beyond where you know you should go. Or it could be your buddies. You're trying to get your life right. You've come out of the party scene and every weekend they call you and want you to go hang out in the club. You, you gave that life up and you've, you've, you've become sober and you're praying that God would give you a Christian mate and yet you're lonely on Friday and Saturday because you haven't met the relationships yet in church that replaces the ones you left that were doing those things. And so you keep saying yes and the only girls you meet are the ones that are drunk and throw up in your lap at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're mad at God and yet you keep putting yourself in that environment because the tempters call or or maybe it's a business partner who pushes you to be involved in dishonest business practices for the sake of profit but you know God won't bless that and the tempter is not always somebody that tempts you to do dirty sins sometimes the tempter could be a friend that's not evil. They may just be incredibly materialistic. And every time you're with that person and you look at how they live and the bling they walk with, you want it. It makes you jealous. You want to be a part of it. And you spend what you can't afford to spend to keep up with her, to keep up with him. And, and, and it's, it's, it's keeping you unhappy. It's not that that person is evil. And some of this is the reality. There's some insecurity in you that makes you think you've got to posture yourself to keep up with them and you can't be content with what you have. But the reality is every time you get around that person it's not good for you in your relationship and the reality is it may not even be their problem it might be your problem so before we lower the boom on all of these toxic people in our lives remember that sin is in all of us and we can be each of us toxic in our own ways in every relationship our goal is redemption Our goal is to let the love of God flow through us to redeem the relationship, to minister to people, to speak life into people. So don't go around labeling people. Don't go around, and I know some of you already got stickers made out, and you're going to slap it on the forehead of three family members, two coworkers, and the neighbor down the road. You've already got it. That's the controller. There's the constant critic. There's the tempter. You've already got them labeled. Before you go around labeling people and telling them the pastor told you to tell them that's what they were, listen to what I'm saying. That's not what I'm asking you to do, but I'm also aware that unless you are aware, you cannot be spiritually healthy. And if you're not spiritually healthy, you will never be able to help those around you. 
It's like when you get on the plane and the stewardess says, in the event of an emergency, the oxygen mask is going to drop in the compartment overhead, put it on you first, and then help the children and those around you. When I flew with my children early on, that seems selfish to me. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to put that on before. But the principle is, if I don't have it on and I don't stay conscious, there is no way I can help the people that God has brought into my life. And so some of you are living in relationships that are so toxic that they have become spiritually and physically destroyed destructive to you and you need to create space between those relationships to get healthy enough for you to be a person of wholeness in order to bring redemption to that relationship or any other relationship in your life. So I want us to look at some simple principles that biblically help us recalibrate toxic relationships. So let me hurry. Number one, set healthy boundaries. Okay. We have to learn to set these boundaries. What does a boundary do? A boundary keeps the good in and the bad out. Last Saturday, I had a conversation with a rancher that lives in the area, and, and I was actually talking to him on his place, and, um, and, and uh, he was running cattle, and, and there was one of the neighbor's cows that sometime back had gotten mixed into his cows, and he began to tell me that that cow is a crazy red heifer. That was the words that he used. <laughs> And he said, he said, all of my cows, they're fine. You know, they've always done, they're easy to corral. They do what I, and he said, but this cow got away from a neighbor because the neighbor couldn't catch it. It busted through a fence, got into my pasture. And ever since it's been in my pasture, my cows have been acting crazy. He said, just the other day, I got it hemmed up and I was trying to get it out of here because it's contaminating my cows, making them act the way they never acted. And in the process of trying to get it contaminated, it jumped the barbed wire fence, destroyed the fence, got all wrapped up in and my cows went nuts. He said, that's the cow. She's crazy. Fences keep the good stuff in and the bad stuff out. And the farmer had done everything he could to keep that cow separated from the rest. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very Christian. I mean, that's the wrong thing to do. Shouldn't we be loving? Yes, we can be loving. But sometimes the most loving and Christ-like thing you can do is to establish a boundary in your life. I'm about to say something that may rub you wrong, but listen, I'm going to explain it. Jesus loved everybody equally, but he didn't treat everybody equally. There were boundaries in his life that he established that gave some people more access than others had into the intimate places of his heart, into the intimate places of his life. When he got ready to pick 12 disciples, he didn't pick 200 disciples. He didn't pick 2,000 disciples. He picked 12. He invested his life in 12. And I know in a culture where everybody gets a ribbon and everybody wins a trophy, he would have been sued because he left somebody out. But the reality is he only picked 12. He loved everybody, but he didn't treat everybody equally. Even in the 12, there were three that he invested in in his inner circle more than he did the other nine. Did he love them more than he loved anybody else? No, but he was strategically establishing boundaries in his life for greater effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Think about it. He would often, this is a boundary, separate himself from the people that he loved the most to get alone with God so that he could be full of the love of God, come back away from that time and from that boundary so that there would be enough love of the Father in him to redeem relationships in a broken world. Look at how he handled the Pharisees. I mean, these are the religious hypocrites. They were his accusers. They were the one that wanted to get rid of them, him. And yet he set boundaries with them all the time. He would not let them go to the places they wanted to go to. And he responded to their accusations with short, quick 
truthful statements that were direct and to the point. He didn't get in the he said, she said. He responded sharp and quick, short to the point with truthful statements and they knew where he stood. He even had boundaries with his closest friends. Look at the Apostle Peter. I mean, this is one of the most on-fire guys for God that there is in the New Testament. He's in Jesus' inner circle. And one day Jesus is sharing with them, listen, it's about time. I'm here to fulfill the Father's purpose. I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to suffer for you so that you can have a relationship with God. And Peter jumped up and said, there is no way I'm going to let you do that. It's not going to happen. You cannot do that. And listen to where Jesus establishes the boundary. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, this is pretty direct and to the point, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Here is a close relationship with somebody Jesus loved that did not understand what the purpose of God was in Jesus' life, and he was trying to derail Jesus from the purpose of God in his life. And so Jesus, with a very direct, pointed, truthful statement, said to Peter, Listen, buddy, this isn't good. And he established a boundary between them. Now, I am not giving you permission today to go to your mother-in-law who creates toxin in your marriage and say, you are like gangrene to me. Get thee behind me, Satan. You may feel like it. It may be true. But I am not giving you permission to say that. I am telling you the principle is walk in grace. Here are a couple of ways to establish boundaries, okay? Just, just a couple. Let me just give you a quick statement or two that you can use. You know, you don't have to worry. When you do like Jesus, when you respond to those, uh, the tempter, the, the chronic critic, or the controller in your life the way Jesus did with short, grace-filled statements of truth, those boundaries that you establish give people of choice about whether or not they want to be involved in your life. You don't have to go around ejecting people from your life. You can walk in love, establish boundaries, and people... People will have to choose whether or not they can be in relationship with you with those established boundaries or they will have to choose whether or not they want to self-eject from your life. Um, one of those things, sometimes someone is demanding and they're demanding the wrong things or they're tempting you to do things you know you shouldn't do. And, and here's a statement that you can say, I, I, I'm not going to let you uh, talk to me this way or I'm not going to let you treat me this way. For example, if you've got a friend who's always gossiping um, and, and don't think uh, that only happens among uh, unsaved people. I'm amazed at how ready, how quick gossip gets into prayer meetings. Um, you know, uh, we need to pray for her. Did you hear? Do you know? And, and we begin to share it as a prayer request and it's gossip. And, and there are moments when you know gossip destroys people's lives. And there are moments that when, you, when you're involved in that and you know that it doesn't set well and you, you, you excuse your, your presence there by, by saying, well, I'm not doing it. They're doing it and I don't want them judging me so I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. Your silence in a gossiping conversation is as guilty as being a part of the conversation. So what do you do? You respond to them and say, hey, guys, I don't want to judge you. Look, I got an issue here. God's dealing with me on this thing. And so the issue, the focus is not on their sin. It is on your potential to sin. And so you just simply say, look, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm trying to grow past this. It's, not, it's been one of the areas in my life that's not been healthy for me. I'm trying to get away from it. And so I'm going to step aside over here and you find something else to do. And when you guys are finished having that conversation, invite me back in. 
I'd love, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to go there with you. That, that's kind of what you're saying. I'm not having that conversation with you. You begin to set healthy boundaries, but you do it in a grace-filled way, and you're reflecting your own weaknesses. You're not judging somebody else in the process, but, you're, but I guarantee you the conversation is going to change when you have that and make that statement. But you're establishing that healthy boundary. One of the things you can say is, we're not going there, or I'm not going to talk about that with you. In an example, I've been in environments where husbands berate their wives and they think it's funny. I've been in an environment in a group of, uh, I've heard of environments where groups of all women, Haley's come back and said, I can't believe the way those ladies talk about their husbands. And, and, and when you're in one of those environments and you know it's not right, if you submit to that environment long enough, the negativity of that environment will eventually creep into the way you view your husband or the way that you view your wife. And the next time you find yourself in one of those environments, just say, look, I don't want to go here. I know my husband's not perfect, uh, but, but I'm believing that he is, God is transforming him into a man of God. I know that my wife is not perfect, but I believe God is transforming her into the, into the woman of God. You've got to give space. You've got to speak positive things and powerful things over the life of the partner that God has given you to live your life with and just don't submit yourself to be a part of that environment. And it's amazing. People are in those gossiping environments or those negative environments. They don't say anything. They just kind of participate in it. And they walk away from the environment and they get out of it. And they're mad at those people that they allow them to be, that they suck them into that environment. Look, friend, people are not going to know where your boundaries are if you don't state them. You got to say it. You got to have the uncomfortable moment of truth like Jesus did with the Pharisees or with the Apostle Peter and say, look. This is not a healthy thing for me. I have a problem with this. I enjoy this. I'm trying to grow. I need to remove myself. Or I'm not going to let this kind of conversation affect the way I see my spouse. State that, not in a judgmental way, acknowledging your own weakness. Remove yourself from that environment. Some of those people will talk bad about you. They will leave that environment, gossip about you. They will call you holier than thou and goody two-shoes. If you do it humbly and in grace, let them talk. They are ejecting themselves from your life. You are not ejecting them. And it may just be the fact that you need space in your life to become healthy, to be what God wants you to be. A very simple, practical way is just to state a truth. Um, I'm trying to figure out what to leave out. There's so much and so little time. There are times when we set boundaries in our life and they help redefine and recalibrate relationships in a healthy way. But then there are times when the relationship, the person doesn't respect the boundaries. They keep crossing the boundaries. They keep controlling. They keep tempting. They keep chronically being critical. It's, it becomes abusive. It's poison. And that, that, that comes to the point where you have to do the second thing that I want to tell you, the last thing I want to tell you. And it's drastic, and some of you will disagree, but there comes a point in time, yes, when even a Christian should sever a relationship. Now, listen to me, because some of you will walk out of here and you'll try to misinterpret what I'm saying. When I talk about cutting off a relationship, I'm not talking about divorce. That's a covenant marriage issue. I'm talking about relationships in a broader perspective that are beyond covenant relationships that you have in your life. Um, that are beyond that, 
Family is covenant relationship. Marriage is covenant relationship. But there are moments in life where you have to be separated in a relationship for the sake of your own spiritual health. It is, I am not telling you to walk out of here today and get in the car or go home to a spouse that doesn't go to church and said, Pastor told me you were toxic and this relationship is over. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that especially in the areas of covenant relationship like marriage and family with father or mother or child. You need an engaged professional, somebody that's equipped with the word, a pastor, a counselor, somebody to help you walk through resolution in the toxins in those kinds of things. I'm talking about extended relationships, a broader set of relationships. And if you look in scripture, you find the apostle Paul established one of those boundaries in his own life. Barnabas and Paul were ministry partners. John Mark entered the scene to be a part of that team. He was Barnabas's cousin. He complained. It was hard. And Paul accused him of being a mama's boy. Barnabas and Paul got into a fight over John Mark and Barnabas said he needs to go and Paul said he's not going with me. He's a mama's boy. Toxin filled their relationship to the point they the only thing they could come to terms with is we can't do this together anymore. So Barnabas took John Mark. They cut off the relationship. Barnabas took John Mark and went one way. Paul picked another traveling companion named Silas. They went the other way. He cut off people. The good news is it was only for a season. If you read later on in the Gospels, you will find out Paul said, can you please tell John Mark to come and help me? I need John Mark. And here is a guy that was in the center of a controversy between two close friends and ministry partners. What that tells us is people grow. God changes people. God redeems people. God transforms people. But even the apostle Paul severed a relationship for a period of time for the betterment of his own life, Barnabas' life, and the health of the kingdom of God. So what I'm not saying to you today, because some of you already got your list. You got 18 people you're going to cut out of your life today and tell them you got spiritual counsel to do that. That's not what I'm saying. The cut it off moment is very rare for a Christ follower. Two times in 23 years of following Jesus have I ever had to draw the line that definite in my life. Only twice in 23 years. Most of you, um, it might be in your early days as a teenager or a young adult in college because you're exposed to more toxins. It may be when you're a brand new Christian because you're bringing some baggage into polluted relationships. But, but the, the longer you follow Christ, the more healthy boundaries you establish in your life and the least likely you're ever going to have to cut anybody off. But when you do, you do it in love. You don't do it in judgment. You do it for your health and the health of the other person so that the purpose of God can be fulfilled. You're going to put the oxygen mask on yourself so that you can eventually help everybody else. I want you to stand with me, if you will. Our time got away, but you have to hear me, okay? You have to hear this before you go. Listen carefully. All of the people that I mentioned earlier, the chronic critic, the controller, the tempter, they all fall into one category. They're disqualifiers. And whether they do it on purpose or whether they do it unintentionally, the goal of those people is to disqualify 
the qualified. In their life, they're miserable. They don't feel like they live up. And their objective is, if I'm not qualified, their critical words are an attempt to make sure nobody else is qualified. And their role, the chronic critic, the tempter, the, 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 the controller, their goal is to disqualify the qualified. Which is exactly the opposite of Jesus. Jesus qualifies the disqualified. He defends a woman caught in the act of adultery. He's always pursuing the one on the edge, the outskirts, the ostracized. He has lunch and dinner and caught at meals with tax collectors and sinners that were not included in the circles of the religious because he qualifies the disqualified. Look in his lineology, his genealogy, his lineage, There are four women that are astounding that God would ever let those women be a part of the the family, the lineage of Jesus. Tamar was guilty of deception, incest, and prostitution, yet she was part of birthing the tribe of Judah. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho that was part of the lineage of Jesus. You got Bathsheba, who was an adulterer, birthed Solomon, the son of David, And she was in the lineage of Jesus. And Ruth, the Moabite girl, she was morally upright, but she was from the wrong side of the track. She was an outsider. She wasn't an insider. And yet all four of those women were logically disqualified, but God put them in the lineage of the Savior as a message to all of us that God qualifies the disqualified. So let me leave you with this. There are some of you in this room that feel like you can't have a relationship with God because you're so separated by choices. You feel like you are disqualified. I want you to know that his love is pursuing you today. You are not disqualified from the love of God. I don't care what anybody told you. He is pursuing you today. Some of you, your life is in bondage because you have been unwilling to set healthy boundaries. Maybe been unwilling to make a hard decision to cut off a relationship in a drastic situation. And your life is in bondage full of fear and guilt. You're unhappy, especially in the presence of those people. And you've allowed them to have control over your life. And I believe God wants to give you wisdom to know what to do. I believe He wants to give you the power today to begin to live in freedom in those relationships. He wants to qualify you in areas where they've disqualified you. But here's something else. We're quick to go putting labels on everybody else, but the reality is where we need to start is right here. Because every one of us at some point in our life have been somebody else's disqualifier. Without fail. We have stomped on the dreams of somebody else. We have been too quick to respond to a child who was trying to share a passion we didn't agree with. We've been too quick to respond in a hateful tone to a spouse that had been closed up and finally tried to open up and we snapped back and shut the door. We disqualified them. We've been a sibling and we've disqualified the dream of a sister or brother and All of us have been the disqualifier. And my prayer is, God, don't let me be so quick to look at other people and slam labels on everybody else and overlook all the times in my life I've been the disqualifier. So search me. Purify me. Help me be a life giver, an encourager, a qualifier, a person who walks in grace. And may that impact people's lives. And then give me the wisdom and grace to know how to deal with the disqualifiers in my life. Set boundaries. And in very rare and hopefully never happen again in my life case. Or I have to sever a relationship. Very drastic situation. 
This is what we're going to do. Time got away from us so much more I skipped. I'm just going to make this altar space open. The last three weeks, prayer team, we have not overlooked you. I so value your contribution to what we do here at North Place. But again, today, I'm just going to make it an open invitation because I, I really believe that maybe somebody needs to do business with God today because they need grace. They feel disqualified. Or maybe they are a disqualifier. Or maybe they need wisdom to deal with that in their life and in their relationships. Then we just want to make this open for you to spend time with God keep the environment worshipful you're welcome to come even as i pray before the aisles get busy father will you bless them and keep them will you make your face shine down upon them will you be gracious to them turn your countenance their direction and give them peace and god would you lift a standard against the enemy that would give people permission to or would allow something to get taken out of context and take a life of its own That somebody would put words in my mouth or say something that I didn't intend to say or what the scripture doesn't say. Lord, would you guard against that and help us grow into healthy people as we recalibrate our relationships according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from North Place. Feel free to share or duplicate this message. If you are in the Dallas area, we would love to connect with you personally. We gather every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m.